Smith talked about it earlier this week. He wants something to come from these Dave Romney throws, and he wants to make it happen. Here it comes from Romney, the long, deep throw. It skips around in the box, and it finds its way over the goal line and in. And Nashville SC is equalized. Castellanos, in his Major League Soccer debut, has his first Major League Soccer goal. This is the Club and Country Podcast. Welcome, everybody. We are the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from, of course, the two guys who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Nashville SC radio analyst Wes Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the intro and outro music. Thanks to ESPN 94.9 for the highlight. Nashville's 1-1 draw in Toronto, their first trip north of the border, helps them secure exclusive hold on third place in the Eastern Conference as they headed to a busy week. Tim, two matches in five days. Yeah, and you certainly don't want to start your long road trip with a loss. So certainly the boys in gold did a little bit better than that, but I think the way the game played out, they'll, they'll regret a little bit not taking all three in Toronto. Omar Gonzalez started the scoring. Robert Castellanos with the equalizer. Exactly, Tim, how everyone drew it up. A Dave Romney long throw to Robert Castellanos, who was not told he would be starting in the match until just over an hour before the contest, and yet it is him who leads the team in clearances and who gets the equalizing goal. Yeah, I certainly didn't have him in my projected lineup in the preview, to say the least. So to see him <laughs> on the field was a surprise enough, but obviously... When you make your debut and get a goal on the same day, you will always be very happy. The club has been working those Dave Romney long throws for a little while now. And to, to see one pay off, especially with the guy who managed to get the goal, feels really good. The 1-1 draw, perhaps bittersweet for a team that I think pretty inarguably played its most composed road match of the season. They still have one away from home. And played a good game, had the better of the chances, won the XG battle, doubled Toronto in shots. Probably a little bit disappointed not to get the win, Tim, but at the same time has to be pleased to have that kind of performance to start off this road swing. Yeah, and it's not going to be easy to play in Toronto for people this year. We just don't really have a much base of knowledge to know that for sure because TFC has just returned back to being able to play games in Canada. So I think when we look back and maybe if Toronto looks a little bit stronger towards the end of the year and particularly at home, this won't go down as, as a result that kind of is, is one that's kind of regretted like the early season draws against Cincinnati or Montreal. Well, in the early shot, we will recap the Toronto match, talk about some of the factors that actually made it a tougher match than met the eye. And we'll hear from the man who scored in his debut, Robert Castellanos, of course, and our gold nuggets. We'll talk about the contributions that have been made by first-year MLS players at this club, be it last year or this. Toronto, in particular, has been a victim of first-year Major League Soccer players when it comes to guys wearing gold. In our Embrace Consensus segment, that's going to make its return this week. We'll debate whether Sunday's draw was positive on the whole or negative. Of course, like anything in life, there's nuance to it. There are bittersweet elements of it. There are bitter elements of it and sweet elements of it. But should the boys in gold be predominantly happy with the result, or should they be perhaps a little bit more frustrated? And that's been the subject of a lot of discussion throughout the Nashville SC media circle. And uh, I think there's, there's some very divergent opinions, and we'll see where ours fall on that spectrum in the mailbag more awesome questions from you guys compelling inquiries from expanding major league soccer who are two existing teams we let in from anywhere in the world to what it'll take for nashville sc to win one of these road matches and nashville conceding first what are the numbers behind that compared to last season lots of interesting queries that we'll get into outside in we'll talk about your champion u.s men's national team and then dive into some boys in not gold what's happening with nashville players who aren't currently nashville players so let's head to our early shout it was indeed a memorable night for the man in the middle robert castellanos formerly of rio grande valley comes to nashville sc last year we talked about him preseason tim wrote a great piece interviewing someone who covered rgv who said he's steady he's going to take a few chances every now and then but he's mm-hmm. smart he's been a captain and robert castellanos tim found out he was starting just over an hour from kickoff there were some travel difficulties mm-hmm. and gary smith called robert castellanos inside and said look it's your debut it's your time are you ready he said yes it turns out he was. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a guy who, like you mentioned, when I talked to Eddie Ochoa or this offseason, he was very high on Castellanos' potential with an MLS team and specifically with Nashville SC, who I think 
um, have a really good plan for how they want to integrate a center back into the system. Obviously, they would prefer to do it with Walker Zimmerman available, but they've been plugging and playing various guys, including um, later in this match, Jack Mayer came on. There are, are guys who have shown up and immediately been comfortable. And some of that is Nashville SC has done a good job finding those guys. And some of that is they have a really good system to make sure these guys are ready to play when they get onto the pitch. The Nashville SC radio calls um, when the team is on the road are delivered in a dimly lit conference room at uh, 1025-949 Studios down in southeast Nashville. Um, it, it's a bunker. It's our soccer bunker, and we've grown to really love it. And we're sitting there in our bunker, and we're getting ready, and we're eating our pregame meal, and the starting lineups come out, and we all three looked at each other because John Freeman said out loud, uh, Robert Castellanos is starting? <laughs> and all thought, okay, here we go. Not what we expected heading into this, as Tim said, not what he put on clubcountryusa.com. And yet he scores a goal, and that's great. The goal was was a nice moment. But he also has a team-high 14 clearances, and on Monday he was named to MLS's best 11 for the week. Here are his thoughts on his performance, followed up by those of his manager, Gary Smith. Obviously the position I play, you got to be really secure and show confidence within yourself you know so the team could build off of it and Gary you know since I got into this organization Gary and the coaching staff have really um, pushed that upon players especially when you're young and you're playing kind of like a center back role they really want you to go in there and uh, you know show your ability of leading and just have confidence with the ball you know so I knew what I had to do out there and obviously the coaches gave me the opportunity and it's been months since I got here you know just working hard being patient his presence his ability to to read aerial threat and get his head on the ball, his composure uh, and, his, and his sound uh, possessional play. I mean, look, I, I, I'm not sure I've seen many defensive debuts that are better than that. You know, it's, it's an incredibly good um, opening game for Robert for the group. And, and he should, I mean, if he can go to sleep tonight, I'll be, I'll, I'll be blown away. He should be staying up all night watching watching the game over again. See how good he was. So, Tim, a, a victorious moment for a player like Castellanos that I think speaks to, once again, the larger job that this staff does fostering development of, of young players. Yeah, absolutely. It's not Like I said before, it's not just about identifying players. It's not just about um, finding the right times to plug these guys into the system. It's doing both of those things together and making sure the timing is right. That's something that obviously Mike Jacobs gets a ton of credit for finding and, and signing a lot of these players, but Gary Smith and his staff. And what, what I thought was interesting is Castellanos shouting out Steve Guppy in one of his answers last night. Yeah. This is a guy that you'd expect to be an offensive coach, but he's helping everybody front to back on the pitch. Maybe not the goalkeeper so much, but but certainly he's a guy who's providing all sorts of wisdom, you know, from his days as a Premier League player, from his days as a coach around the world, basically. So I think I thought that was really interesting. And it's hel- it helps a guy like Castellanos to have not only really smart coaches and really helpful coaches, but a variety of voices from that coaching room who can really help him reach his top potential. And that's exactly what we're starting to see. Yeah, what's so interesting to me is that you could have seen this club loaning out a guy like Castellanos and mm-hmm. sending him back down to USL uh, because, I mean, they, they saw success with that with Jack Mayer, and Castellanos was further away from playing than Mayer was uh, earlier this season. It's interesting to me that they kept him around, presumably because he'd already been in USL. He'd gotten that experience. Right. Maybe that wasn't going to be a, a source of significant improvement to him. It allows him to learn from guys like Walker Zerman and Dave Romney. And maybe I've been looking at this all wrong because I look at those two guys and I say, well, they're fixtures in the 11 unless there's an injury or unless there's Gold Cup. How about both? But, <laughs> but the value of learning from them, even if you're only going to play a couple times a year, you know, I don't know that Castellanos is going to be a regular fixture in this 11 just because he had a great game, but that, that value of learning from players like that on the pitch really, I think in his case, usurps the value of going to, to Austin bold or back to RGV and playing more. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a big part of it is the leadership that he's getting from being around guys like Walker Zimmerman, even though Walker has been unavailable to play the last couple of weeks after returning from the gold cup and around Dave Romney. These are two guys who didn't quite overlap with LA galaxy two back in the day. Um, a little bit of overlap in the LA galaxy system though. And obviously we've seen that maybe Nashville is getting the benefit of, of what LA galaxy didn't quite see in their talent identification. And Cassianos is the latest success story from that mini pipeline 
Nashville was without Jaleel Anibaba, Dan Lovitz, Matt LaGrasa in this match as well. But one man did return, and it was Alistair Johnston straight in from the Gold Cup. Was able to sleep in his own bed in Toronto uh, before meeting with the team and, and joining them for the match in his hometown. And, and Tim, Alistair nearly had a goal of his own. Uh, mm-hmm. A nice stabbing header that was saved off the line by the keeper's uh, right boot. But defensively, what did his return to the eleven provide this team? He's a guy who is going to be very defensively sound. He knows where he's supposed to be and he's going to do it right. That wasn't necessarily always the case last year when Mm -hmm. he was just a rookie kind of learning on the job, but he's played as a right wing back, including Sunday night's game. He's played as a right fullback. He's played a little bit as a a right-sided center back. And that's what he does with Canada is play as that right-sided center back in a back five. Playing that diversity of positions, but similar positions has really helped him add small pieces to his game over the course of his year and a half now in Nashville. And it's really helped him become a more complete player and become more positionally sound because last year that was a a little bit of what he lacked. And now all of a sudden, especially with this heavily rotated back line, he's a guy who's a leader back there and and one of the stalwarts that you can really depend on. Um, Of course, nobody ever is going to hold a candle to Dave Romney in that regard, but (laughs) but certainly Alistair is is doing his utmost to, to get into that category himself. Here's what Alistair had to say about playing in his hometown and returning to the squad. It's been great to be back with the group. Excited to be back and um, getting to show them. Unfortunately, can't really show them around my hometown, but you know, uh, getting them to see the the you know the Toronto skyline and show what Toronto has to offer was pretty cool. And of course, playing here is always a pretty special one, um, especially for my first time being here. And hopefully, I'll be here a lot in the future um, with Canada and with Nashville. So, um, you know, it wasn't exactly the result we wanted, but at the same time, start off a road trip with a point. It's not the worst thing in the world either against a good team. He was the fourth highest player on the pitch via average position for Nashville SC, averaging right around the center stripe compared to Taylor Washington, who's known perhaps as a more attacking-oriented wingback because of his speed, who on the left side actually averaged a little bit below the stripe, even with the circle and behind the two central midfielders, whereas Johnston was only surpassed on the pitch by Sapong, Mukhtar, and Leal. A good two-way effort from Alistair, showing his capabilities to get forward and, and perhaps an indication, too, of the ambition Nashville had to use him combining with Leal on the right side of that pitch. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's worth keeping in mind that Taylor's speed not only allows him to get forward, but it helps him recover backwards faster, too. And that might be a little bit of that average Great position point. there. But but yeah, I think one thing that is important and it's going to be important going forward as well is what you just mentioned there is combining with the attack. And that's part of what Johnston has not done as much recently, aside from crosses. And he's really starting to hone it in and become more of a connector than a crosser from that right side. So for our gold nuggets this week, we thought we'd look at guys like Alistair last year and Castellanos this year, guys who are getting their first full seasons of Major League Soccer action and track how they've contributed to this team's efforts. And this year, I mean, there are three in particular that stand out, and that's Jack Mayer, of course, who had a goal in his first start this year, an assist in his second, uh, did not get to start against Toronto, but did come in and factor and is kind of the, the de facto third center back now for this team mm-hmm. when when he is healthy and uh, when either Walker or Romney are out or even when they're in and they want to play this three-back formation. He's enabled Nashville well, to, to switch hey, to Hey, West, find me a minute when Romney is out. Go go through the history of Nashville SC and find Romney not on this pitch. Yeah, that's a good point. It's never happened. He's the only player, by the way, in Major League Soccer to accomplish that last year and this year. Uh, that was a very um, hypothetical situation, whereas Zimmerman, unfortunately, is very real. It'll be real for a little bit longer here. Yep. Uh, well, Jack Mayer... Um, is not the mayor of the defense. That would be Romney, given his mm-hmm. ever-present uh, presence. That was redundant. Uh, but but mayor, a goal in his first start this year, an assist in his second. So he joins Castellanos in that regard, a goal in his debut. And if we asked our good friend of the program, Clay Trainum, he'd be able to list off the top of his head quickly the other Nashville SC players who have scored for the club in their debuts. I don't have that list off the top of my head. Well, thankfully, I had the foresight to ask our good friend, Clay Trinum, um, find this work at NashvilleSoccerArchive.com. The other Nashville players to score in their debut are Brandon Allen in a uh, U.S. Open Cup game against Mississippi Brilla FC in 2018. Then three guys in 2019, Cameron Lancaster and Daniel Rios, both scored in the season opener of 2019. Jimmy Ockford signed after being, or, uh, scored after being a midseason signing at Memphis 901 FC. And then Walker Zimmerman, of course, last year in the season opener, uh, in the franchise opener for, for MLS for Nashville SC, managed to bag a goal in the uh, 2-1 loss to Atlanta United. 
That's beautiful. We're just finishing each other's sandwiches over here. Uh, <laughs> amazing. And, and go to Nashville, uh, NashvilleSoccerArchive.com for, for more great uh, factoids from Clay Trainum, who's, by the way, currently driving to New England as we're recording this and will drive then from New England to Miami. He wanted to go to Toronto, too, and do the whole road trip, but a little bit hard to get across the Canadian border, as I have found out recently um, as well right now due to COVID restrictions. Anyway, we very much digress. Let's take it back to the topic. <laughs> Believe it or not, Tim, we rambled a little bit. It's never happened. Uh, we would never. Oh, we would gosh. Never. Who knew? Uh, so Jack Mayer, one of those full-time first-year MLS players. He dabbled a little bit last year after going on loan to USL early in the season. Goal in his first start this year, assist in his second. Luke Hawkinson, a brace at home against Toronto in that same match that Mayer scored. Castellanos, a goal in his debut. And Rodrigo Pinheiro was there two and last season alistair johnson of course 18 matches part of just one loss in those 18 matches brian anunga played 14 matches last year scored his first career goal this season matt lagrasa taylor washington also contributed and so you take those parts together and this year you can say that first year players have combined for four goals and one assist this season 20 matches played and eight total starts and so tim my question for you is this club in your opinion particularly good at identifying talent is it developing that talent or is it simply providing the right opportunities at the right times it's a mix of all those things but where would you lean if you're if you're naming what they might be particularly good at along that spectrum i obviously alluded to this earlier but i think the identification and and finding the right opportunity at the right time are probably the biggest two yes this club is developing guys and that's through both the coaches and the leadership they have of the veterans but it is finding guys who have the opportunity to make that that leap in their game and finding the right time for them to hop onto the field and show that they've made that leap in their game. Yes, the development is important, but it is kind of the, the tertiary piece to the other two that really, you know, it is the identification first and foremost, I think. But but the, the timing is, is far more important than even the development within that. Nashville SC looking to develop its road play, and it's going to have a massive test on Wednesday. Visiting New England, who is top of Major League Soccer, winners of four straight. Three of them came on the road, and they are welcoming back several Gold Cup contributors. We would think Tejon Buchanan will be back for them. We'll see about Matt Turner, who was enjoying Vegas to its fullest Hopefully not its very fullest uh, on Sunday night after the Gold Cup win. Does he fly back and take part? We will see. We would have never thought Alistair Johnston did until he did. It's the same yeah. length of turnaround. So if, if he has that that same grit that Alistair Johnston does to not even train with Nashville SC before hopping <laughs> back onto the pitch, uh, maybe we'll see Turner on, on Wednesday evening. And you can pop a keeper in a little bit easier than you yep. can perhaps another player. And, and certainly he's fit. We saw that mm-hmm. Sunday night. Uh, Gary Smith calls New England the best team in the league. Do you agree with that? I can see it both ways. Uh, I think there are the argument for New England being the best team in the league is uh, their their goal differential is is incredible at this point. Obviously, they have the most points certainly in the Eastern Conference. Seattle's right there with them in the Supporters Shield race, but. A big part of what you and I both believe in, and I probably am more of a zealot about it, is what the advanced numbers say. The advanced numbers like New England, but they don't have the revs right at the top of the league. I think there's an argument that um, the, the advanced numbers probably mean more about the quality of your team and the the uh, traditional numbers, I guess you would say, mean more about the results of your team, the quality of the results that your team gets. Those aren't necessarily synonyms for each other they are obviously very interrelated but new england is close to the best team in the league and i think when you when you look at it from nashville sc you're not going to sit here and say well on a technicality maybe they're like second or third they're good and it will be a tough trip that is for sure a couple of fun facts about the revs they've won nine of the 11 times they've scored first so you can also you know obviously judge from that that in 11 of their 17 matches they have been the first team to get on the score sheet they drew the other two when they scored first that they didn't win But it was Nashville that scored first when the teams met in Music City in the fourth match of the season. Nashville's first win of the year came against that New England team 2-0. What can the boys in goal learn from that performance, if anything, that they can apply to this one? Yeah, I think what what you just said there is a really important part of it, and that's if you score first, the Revs are going to end up being a little bit vulnerable over the course of the game. We saw the second goal for Nashville in that contest come because NSC was willing to press because they knew that they had New England right where they wanted them. And um, I think the secondary lesson that's kind of related is that if Matt Turner does play, he's not unbeatable. I know that I know the advanced stats really like him and a lot of the uh, MLS intelligentsia really like him. And I'm, I'm among them. I think Matt Turner is an awesome keeper. I think he should be the United States number one keeper, honestly. 
but um, you can't go into a game being afraid of this boogeyman thinking he's unbeatable. You have to know that you can score on him. And the fact that Nashville already has twice this year will be able to give them so much confidence and, and take away some of the hesitation maybe when you're shooting against an elite keeper. The way the attack's been playing too is interesting because, you know, there were times against Toronto when they were, you know, a bit on an island, sucked back a little bit. But then they, when they mm-hmm. got forward, they combined really crisply, I think as confidently as we've seen them link play on the road this season. And in a counterattacking situation against yeah. an aggressive team like New England, that could prove pretty valuable. Yeah, absolutely. The, the one thing you never want to do is give Carlos Heel all the time in the world to create for New England. And I think Nashville is going to, especially on the road, be very willing to sit back and prevent him from making things happen. But that's going to open opportunities for some of these speedy guys that Nashville has been playing up top to, to hit on the counter, like you mentioned. New England with Heel, uh, who is, I think, the easy MVP front runner right now. Yeah, in Major so, League far, Soccer. so far for sure. Yeah. Ever so dangerous. Yeah, he has almost double the chances created of the second place contender uh, <laughs> in that race right now. Miami, meanwhile... To call them less stable would be very kind, but they did snap a seven-game losing streak with a win over Montreal last weekend. They've allowed the most goals at home of anybody in Major League Soccer by four goals over the next worst team. 18 goals at home they've allowed and just one home win in those eight matches. Uh, but after that win over Montreal, I mean, do you see them as as vulnerable because they've been so rough at home? Do you see this as a team that's that's hungry, that's starting to round into form? Can we judge that from one win against Montreal? Yeah, I think the one win doesn't tell us, it doesn't change enough of, of our opinion of them. It certainly increments the expectations upward a little bit, but the expectations for Miami ever since the first few games of the year have been extremely low. And that's maybe harsh to say, but it's it's the reality of the situation is that this has been one of the worst teams in the East. If they're now slightly less bad, they're still one of the worst teams in the East. That doesn't mean Nashville is going to go in there and, and easily dispatch the Herons, but certainly you go in there with a little bit more confidence and, you know, kind of the opposite of what I just mentioned about not being afraid of Matt Turner. You have to show a little bit of fear to this Miami team. Otherwise they'll come up and surprise you, but you also have to have the faith that if you just play your game, you'll be able to beat them. Nashville's history against Miami, two wins, no losses and two draws. They've never conceded a goal to enter Miami in the 360 minutes of action against them. They've also only taken though, 12 shots on target against the Herons <laughs> in those games. It's been tight, these matches. It's, it's, it's been some real exciting some Yeah, really exciting two games, scoreless yeah. draws. And, and the one actual really exciting game, the 3-0 win, Nashville only shot the ball six times. Yeah. They got up mm-hmm. early so quickly that they just didn't need to keep peppering the net. They could sit back a little bit. Uh, should we expect another tight affair on Sunday? I think Gary Smith is going to show up and, and want to say, hey, I've been talking the talk and at times walking the walk about this being a more exciting edition of Nashville SC. And this is an opportunity to show that that's the case. Even if you can see the goal to enter Miami, you have to have faith in yourselves that you can come right back around and score two or three to get it back. So um, even, even in a situation where you would typically see Nashville go on the road and be a little bit more conservative, this feels like a game where they can really let it fly and, of course, the history tells us they haven't done that a ton against Miami in the past, but it does feel like they have the opportunity as they head into Drive Pink Stadium this weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, upon popular demand, making its return to the podcast after nearly a month off, Embrace Consensus, our debate segment that we temporarily shut down because we had amazing guests and we had a too lot many, of agreements. We had too many disagreements is what it was. <laughs> that's right. We shut it down because the debate segment had too much conflict. Here's a question that's been raised in, in local discussion after Sunday's match. There were some who thought that the draw against Toronto was a big disappointment. The word bad result has been thrown out there. The premise being that it's a Toronto team sitting at now 10th in the standings. They were 12th. Nashville was in the top three and should have gone on the road. And according to those people, been more aggressive, been more assertive and and come away with a result. And I strong, well, I have strong feelings about that take. Um, <laughs> very strong feelings. And some of those were expressed on Twitter in a discussion that was respectful because I like these people a lot. As humans, as, as analysts, I just fall in a different place with them. So we'll see if we fall in the same place here. Was Sunday night's result in Toronto A, great, B, good, C, disappointing, or D, bad? Great, good, disappointing, or bad? Most things are lots of things at once. But (laughs) but if you picked an overarching theme there, which is it for you? I think disappointing. Um, Obviously, when you look at 
what Nashville had to deal with um, paperwork issues at the border guys having difficulties, you know, getting to BMO field to be available for the squad really kind of contextualizes it. You can't say it's a bad result when you have all those situations arising. And when you have Toronto FC getting a lot of their Canadian talent back, including Jonathan Osorio, who I think is one of the better wingers in this league, he's suddenly available for, for TFC. That's something that you maybe didn't expect. And you have maybe fewer guys than you did expect in this league. It is really hard to say, not winning on the road is a bad result. Basically, anybody going on the road can lose to any team except for FC Cincinnati, which I believe is still seeking its first home win at TQL Stadium. But but they're basically the only team that is not somebody that you look at and say, oh, man, if we're going into their house, this is going to be a difficult matchup no matter what. So, yes. The way the game played out, Nashville probably could have said, we wish we had all three points. We feel like we had all three points in the bag. But given the circumstances, given uh, the personnel issues that Nashville had, given just the simple difficulty of, of being one of the first couple teams to have to go to Toronto and play on the road, you, can, you can't really say it's, it's a truly bad result. And I'll pivot along the axis that you've laid out for this discussion and say that you know because Nashville did outplay that Toronto team in spite of that adversity, I can certainly understand yeah. why they would be disappointed to not take three points. I understand why folks maybe on Twitter and elsewhere, maybe in the bars watching, you know, could say, hey, you, you got to beat a team like that. But it's a good result for me and mm-hmm. not not a great result. It's not the best draw. I think Columbus was a better draw, for instance. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Half ago, yeah. for sure. But it is a good draw because in soccer, of course, you, you can't just look at the product. You also have to look at the process, as you've told mm-hmm. me many, many times and as we've tried to instill in our in our audience and, and feed from our audience. And when you look at the process of what went into this match and how this match was played, I don't think you can call this a bad result, and I think it's good. Nashville doubled Toronto in shots, 12-6. They allowed Toronto zero shots on target in the second half. It was a rather dominant road performance as road performances go for this team. Mm -hmm. Process in match, good. Process leading up to the match was awful. It was terrible. Very difficult, very difficult. You had players, uh, at least one case, that were landing in the United States and having to drive across the border to even get there. You had others flying separately. You had Alistair Johnston, of course, who they've not had for a few games, but who um, you know is, is not with the team and not training with the team leading up to that match. You have, obviously, Robert Castellano starting in your pivotal anchor center back position, and yet you still double Toronto in shots. And you still take a point against a Toronto team, by the way, that just won on the road in New England and is unbeaten in four. This is not the Toronto team that came to Nashville. So for me, those calling this a bad result are not evaluating process. And they're obsessing with product, but they're defining that product falsely. So your argument, I'm I'm on board with. Disappointing because they outplayed this team and because you you do want to stack up these points on the road. I'm, I'm there. Those who call it a bad result, I don't think are looking at the actual situation. They're looking at a hypothetical situation they've drawn up for themselves. I think that's absolutely fair. If you if you want to just evaluate the result, I think it could go so far as to say bad. But as you know, I don't tend to want to evaluate the results uh, without the contextualization of the process and without the contextualization of the situation that Nashville SC was dealing with. So yes, result, maybe you can say result bad. Uh, One point in a game that you had those statistical advantages, bad. But having had those statistical advantages is good. The the process was good for for most of it. And I I don't think Hani Mukhtar forgot how to shoot after after the the couple of weeks (laughs) that he's had. I don't think CJ Sapong forgot how to shoot after the couple of weeks that he's had. It, it, it stinks to only get one point out of that game, but the process is is there to, to give you some faith going forward. And again, all the love and respect in the world to the people who are expressing passionate opinions across that spectrum. This is not, I don't even say this, but it's not any kind of personal thing. It's just frustration with an argument I felt was insufficient in the moment. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. by the way, my feet are really clean right now because I've been standing on my soapbox and <laughs> it's getting pretty heated. <laughs> rinse them off rinse them off yeah we're gonna rinse them off we're gonna head to the mailbag and make sure we don't get the envelopes wet some penetrating questions both serious and silly from you guys this week we always appreciate it be sure to tweet at us anytime during the week at west bowling tn at club country usa with your questions aaron says will we ever win a road match nashville is winless on the road still this season Tim, what adjustments does Nashville need to make to earn three points on the road? And should it be pursuing road wins 
more aggressively. And again, I think it pursued it pretty aggressively against Toronto. They put in attacking players there late. But yeah. but speaking on the, on the mm-hmm. whole then, should it be more assertive throughout the match on the road? Yeah, I think it, this follows very nicely from what we just embraced consensus about, which is the process was pretty nice. I don't think Hani Mukhtar and CJ Sapong forgot how to shoot. So as frustrating as it may be to say, do exactly what you did in that 1-1 draw, it did seem like Nashville had exactly the right game plan going into the TFC game. Now, the next couple challenges are going to be different. Will Nashville be as aggressive against New England? Absolutely not. Will they be as aggressive against Miami? Maybe even more so. They'd better be. Yeah, yeah. It does depend on the context of the team that you're playing, the context of the personnel that you have available. But I do think we're seeing a Nashville team that is more willing to take its game on the road than it had been in the USL days, than it had been um, for the first MLS season last year. This team isn't going to necessarily be quite as conservative in contrast to what they do at home when they when they take their show on the road. And I think it's just about kind of repeating the process and hoping you get better finishing from a guy who, you know, set an MLS record within the past couple of weeks. And I cannot reiterate <laughs> enough that that what Nashville did against Toronto FC would typically see, you know, you know, two or three goals if Hani Mukhtar is on his game or or at least a, an opportunity to to go ahead and take the game at some point if they are are just playing to kind of average levels. Yeah, if Alex Bono doesn't save one off the line yeah. against his his direct the direction of his body with his right leg, then we're we're mm-hmm. sitting here talking about a, a a glowing victory in Nashville getting three points on the road. Um, Robbie picks up on I think a really common theme this season, and it's something we've talked about a bit, but we can bring yeah. fresh statistical perspective too. He says, "How often is Nashville giving up the first goal this year?" He says it seems like it's happening a lot. It is, mm-hmm. Robbie. <laughs> and how much are they playing from behind in general compared to last year? So we had touched on this stat a while back, but let's let's compare it to last season even. So Nashville's conceded the first goal eight times this year. That's half their mm-hmm. matches, including the match in Toronto when Omar Gonzalez scored on a quickly taken free kick in the 19th minute. But in those contests when they've conceded first, they've won once, they've only lost once, and they've drawn six times. So that is now nine points earned from losing positions or one-third of the points the team has earned all season. By contrast, last year, all of last year, they gave up the first goal in the match eight times. So equal to this year. And they were 1-6-1 and one last year. One win, one draw, six losses, just four points from losing positions. So you can take this one of two ways. A little shakier at the outset of matches? Mm-hmm. Yes. More resilient with more attacking force to get back into those matches? Absolutely. Yeah, I think the the ability of the attacking players when you add um, guys like John Dercati's for the whole season. When you add a guy like Ake Loba more recently, obviously he's not he's not playing at the beginning of matches, but he's having the opportunity to come in and, and be a guy to potentially find the winner, although he could not against Toronto. You have the pieces to, to play from behind a little bit more. I do think it's important to note that even at an even game state, so before either team scores, Nashville SC is still... Um, getting the better of the XG th- th- over its opponents. It's just, it really has been, I know when it happens so many times, it does not feel like bad luck, but to a large extent, it has been bad luck that's seen them concede so much uh, before they score. So that's something that maybe it, 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 you know, you snap your fingers and they pop out of it. I asked Gary Smith that question with that. And I had a little snapping noise in there and he like <laughs> rolled his eyes at me, but he, but he kind of agreed and said, yeah, it's not something that we're going to snap out of. It's just something that, that it kind of happens in, in fluky ways. It happens in ways where we let our guard down, but the way it's been happening, it's probably not going to continue happening because we are still having the sort of XG advantages. And I will take personal credit for Gary suddenly becoming an XG zealot, even though I know <laughs> it is not from me, but he he's, he's even citing XG and saying, look, we are doing the better of the attacking action in these times. It is just a matter of bad look and I don't think it's really going to be that persistent although you know every time I say it and it, and it just continues happening this year it's that age-old process versus product dichotomy with uh, mm-hmm. Nashville leading the process and hoping it continues to translate uh, you know translates even more into its its product a friend of the program Steve Cavendish asked us a question he actually threw it in there um, a few days ago we didn't get to it last week but it is uh, I think still the question at the moment for this team mm-hmm. which is the striker battle and he says, with Sapong in form, with Ake Loba getting minutes now, how would we rank strikers in the rotation? And what are the odds of each player being with the team next season? So, Tim, I thought maybe you could give us the, the depth chart of strikers in the rotation that I can talk through. The odds that each of those guys is with the team next year. 
Yeah, of the five guys who remain with the team. And um, obviously, I think we didn't even mention um, the departure of Dom Baji sent back to Colorado Rapids uh, this past week. Uh, all the best to Dom. It, it was horrible for him to end his Nashville career on an injured ankle and unable to play. But I think when you look at this depth chart that I'm about to list here, you'll see one of the reasons why even when he got back to full health, he was going to have to battle to get on the field. So I think when you look at the depth chart as it stands today, um, CJ Sapong has to be the number one. He's been on a consistent run of starts. From there, though, I do think that Ake Loba is probably your number two guy already. I think once he's a little bit more match fit, he's going to be a guy who's who's the more likely to start in a two striker formation or to start in a uh, or to come off the bench first over a guy like Jander Cadiz, who I currently have third on the depth chart. They're, that's pretty much a two A and a two B situation. Behind them, I have Abu Dhamadi. And that's partially because he can also play on the wing. So it's, it's, it's maybe a little bit of a cheat. It's not necessarily a striker, striker depth chart. It's a, it's a uh, attacking player depth chart. Mm-hmm. And then Daniel Rios, who unfortunately just hasn't been able to get healthy over the course of this year, hasn't been able to stay healthy over the course of this year and has really had, you know, kind of the, the opportunities to sit on, sit on the bench have unfortunately given other guys the opportunities to get back ahead of him and, and stay ahead of him because serious Pong, won't stop scoring essentially. And it's hard to get on the field over a guy that won't stop scoring or the guy that um, was the $7 million recent transfer. And I think Rios still has his work cut out for him getting back onto the pitch. So with that in mind right now, with, with those five guys listed was, what do you think in terms of, of the likelihood that they, those guys each stick around a little bit longer? So listing each guy, uh, Don Baji, 0%, I would say. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, just a hot hunch. take, hot take. <laughs> and echoing your praise of Baji, by the way, uh, <laughs> sp- spoke to Gary Smith about him after mm-hmm. his departure. And he said, look, Dom Baji, I mean, he started those he, first. Gary matches. absolutely loves Dom. This, oh, man. this was not, there was nothing personal about this other than they wanted Dom to be happy and they thought he would get more playing time. So, yeah, he said, you know, Dom Baji is part of the reason this club has the character that it does in the mm-hmm. locker room. He went so far as to, as to praise him that heavily. And yeah, they wanted him to get more minutes. And, and this was not a scenario where he was going to be able to, to get that. So 0% odds for Dom Baji. I know you're shocked breaking news. And the rest of this is projection. This is purely conjecture. Uh, Ake Lobo, 100%. He's in, yeah. he's the DP. Yeah. No matter what happens this year, his job is safe uh, yeah. presuming health of course we'll, we'll do that with all these guys um, cj sapong 95 percent. i don't see the club dealing him he's on a two-year deal with a club option this obviously mm-hmm. is his first year so um he's likely to be a fixture on this team next year as well of course there are other considerations there you know assuming he's still playing next year and we, we certainly i think can assume that um yeah i think he's he's with this team i'll have 95 percent just to cover a random weird five percent fluke or something yeah. but i think he's good Daniel Rios, for me, is at about 75% likelihood. Mm-hmm. Um, he signed a contract extension in the offseason through 2022 with an option for 23. And I don't think that our that his failure to get on the pitch except for once this year is anything other than an indication, number one, that he's not been healthy and kind of started yep. the season behind. Number two, the depth chart we're talking about here. But if you can keep him on the roster and pay him the relatively manageable salary you're paying mm-hmm. him, Keep him around. And that's a big part of it, yeah. Right. The replacement cost is going to be is going to be higher, especially at the forward position. And Rios, they know what he can bring at his best. And he did score multiple goals last season. He was on the field late during the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. Scored Nashville's last goal of the season, in fact. So I think Rios is is safe. I think seventy five percent, just in case there's a chance to, you know, deal him to somebody who has a real deficiency there. But I I'd, I'd be quite surprised if yeah. that. And he's, and he's another, you know, kind of in the same vein as Don Baji, but more likely to see the field where the, the staff loves him too much to deal him, except in a yeah. circumstance that it would that it would really be best for him. Yeah, he's one of three to make the move from USL. The only one of those three who was on an MLS contract while playing mm-hmm. for the USL club. But still, uh, I think I think he is is likely very safe. The other two, not as much. I think Abu Dunladi, he had his uh, option extended last offseason but has continued to not consistently see the field and, and is really kind of developed into a, a relatively reliable sub option. If they want to stretch the field and get somebody in there who can threaten has the one goal this season, the equalizer against Montreal. But I wonder if he has the ability to withstand this depth chart and, and prove himself yeah. enough to justify a veteran salary next year when I believe his contract will, will mm-hmm. end at the end of the season. And then Yonder Cadiz, I think, is the lowest. I'll give it 15%. The club extended his loan until the end of this season. 15% might even be just a little bit high, though, given the likely cost of buying him from Benfica at the end of the season. I think he's got some chances with, uh, I would guess, some squad rotation coming up in a busy slate of games. He'll get to play. He got in uh, for a good portion of the second half alongside Ake Loba. 
uh, on Sunday night. But he's got a lot to prove to him, and I think the benefit of the doubt is against him with his depth chart and with his cost unless he does something extraordinary here in the second half of the year. Yeah, and I think the one thing to think about with that cost is we've talked about this, we've alluded to it a little bit, is the reason Nashville is able to fairly easily extend his loan from Benfica is because they're they're dealing with a, a weird, you know, financial fair play type situation in Portugal's top league. It might lead to a situation where the, the asking price is not as expensive as maybe Cadiz's market value might be. And that would be a situation where it'd make it a little bit easier for Nashville to purchase his contract outright. But like you mentioned, the, the, the market value at this point is probably a little too high for Nashville to justify that cost because it would keep him in the DP range for, for certain going forward too. Great question from Steve there. And if you want great content from Steve, check out Lamestream Sports. The second week in a row, we've plugged it. Uh, it is my favorite podcast on the 440 Sports Network. Tim, that includes ours. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> uh, it's it's fantastic. I'm going to mute you here. Hold yeah, I know. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> let's let's get weird. You want to get weird for a little bit? Let's do it. Let's do All it. All right. So Will Reiner's friend of the, of the program, says, if there were ever conference realignment for soccer, we should mention Will lives down in Texas now. So he's all in the Texas-Oklahoma news <laughs> moving to the SEC. If there were ever conference realignment for soccer, what two clubs would you add to Major League Soccer and why? And he's given us pretty much no parameters. They could be USL, Liga MX, EPL, somewhere else. What you got? Oh, uh, there's a little club in the in the southeast of Spain called FC Barcelona. Have you heard of it, Wes? <laughs> um, once or twice in passing. Yeah, so I would I would add them because uh, it's been my favorite club since I was a kid. So. Uh, sh- shout out to Barca. Check them out if you haven't heard of them yet. Um, and Leo Messi can come with them if they want. And then um, selfishly here, we will add, um, we'll really change the paradigm here. We will add my beloved Michigan Wolverines from the NCAA directly into MLS. Oh. And, they, and they, will, uh, they will win the first um, six or seven MLS Cups after they join the league. I think if Barcelona joined, though, honestly, things would just get really messy. Oh, Wes. Oh, Wes. We, we went this far without without a pun, so we were actually overdue for that one. That's right. Yeah. Um, yellow card issued in the uh, 65th minute. Well, and Jorge Moss in Miami could finally claim he brought Messi to Miami when they played their road match down there. <laughs> Good and would. Uh, I'm going to go way, way outside the box. I'm going to create a team, and I'm going to create a new initiative for Major League Soccer in the process. I'm going to create... An Argentina under-23 club team based in a city that currently does not have an MLS squad. And I'm going to use it as an initiative. Boca Juniors Juniors. Boca Juniors Juniors. (laughs) Boca the third. You can put them in, you know, in, in somewhere like Baltimore in a large metro area that doesn't have a team if you want to do that. In San Antonio, um, Balta Juniors, I don't know. But what this is going to do is it's going to work to cultivate the growing and very strong pipeline from Argentina to the U.S. when it comes to young prospects coming in. Mm-hmm. And Argentine teams would be incentivized with sell-on fees and transfer dollars to transfer their young prospects up to the age of 23, so even some of their best players if they chose to, into this MLS team, which would be a sort of all-star team of these prospects. MLS teams then would have the opportunity to purchase these players, but what it would really do is it would cause the league an opportunity to have a showcase for these players on one team so then European clubs could come in and poach them and you'd have a very interesting scenario. It'd be a league-owned team, I think, is how you would you would work it. And the league would get the proceeds, and it would spread a certain amount of those proceeds out to other to, to the other clubs each off season in the form of increased gam. It is a, a very half-cocked idea that will never happen. <laughs> but I think Boca Juniors Juniors, Boca the third. Yeah. It wouldn't have been worth it without the name, I think. <laughs> Wes, I have a question for you. Are you familiar okay. with Project Forty? I'm not. So this was in gosh, probably the early 2000s. It was the essentially the U.S. under 23 team played in the reserve league of Major League Soccer. So I actually like your idea, but make it with U.S. youth internationals to help both Major League Soccer profit and to help the U.S. men's national team um, do some things that we will uh, be very excited to have heard them done uh, <laughs> in a moment here. Yeah, but... I mean, the U23s in the U.S. get opportunities like the Olympics to showcase them. 
Oh wait! <laughs> oh, too soon, too soon. Uh, listen, listen. U.S. U.S. Olympic soccer is is a sore subject for me right now, especially. <laughs> uh, so. Yes, of course, with the women bowing out and the men not making it. Disappointing overnight, certainly, and it was it was like the ultimate slap in the face to the to the a very typical slap in the face to the U.S. soccer fan to finally get to celebrate beating Mexico in Gold Cup and then to wake up to or stay up for. Uh, that that result yeah very disappointing all right here's a stupid question that i love from john mueller i woke up to this question and i shook my head and thought am i still dreaming <laughs> this is weird but it's weird enough we're gonna go with it if you were to make karaoke themed advice on how to make this team go from good to great what would your choices be for example acdc attack concisely defend collectively acdc you know what yeah let's do it all right um rem rem repress enter and maximize opportunities Uh, I think Nashville goes from good to great if when they are on the front foot, especially on the road, they repress when they lose the ball, they win the second phase, they enter the final third, and they take advantage of their inform attack to maximize opportunities. REM, repress, enter, and maximize. All right. Mine is is Alone by Heart because that is the only canonical karaoke song. Um, (laughs) Thank you. No, I've got one. I've got one. I've also got one. This is uh, UB40 which is uh, you talking to Dax McCarty about when he is still playing. That's, <laughs> that's, how, that's, how, that's how Nashville continues to find success. Oh, my gosh. And it, you know what? You're just going to blink, and he's going to be 182. And still <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. I've got one more for you, and that is you, too. You, too, can beat Cincinnati if we put you in the 11. Try it out, Gary. Try me. <laughs> it would be a beautiful day. <laughs> And, and you know that Cincy defense is just stuck in a moment and it just really, <laughs> really can't get out of it. They've got to get themselves together. All right, we're making sweet music, but as harmonious as it is, let's move on to outside in. And the music just as sweet for the U.S. men's national team. Two trophies in one summer against Mexico, Nations League, and then the 1-0 win in extra time against the Mexicans to win the Gold Cup. Uh, we saw a lot from this C team against Mexico's purported A team with a couple of notable absences. Mm-hmm. Is this a, a nice summer fling that we should all just savor and that we'll never be in that relationship again, but we'll look back on fondly? Or is it something greater that can build toward qualifying? Yeah, the important thing is what you just mentioned, and that this was a USC team against Mexico's essentially A-minus team. One of their top players, um, Diego Linus, who I don't actually think would be a starter for Mexico's A team, is not in this team. Um, they've had a couple players go out uh, over the course of the Gold Cup. And Memo Ochoa, their, their top goalkeeper, has not been active for this tournament. But other than that, this is basically Mexico's top team. And it is the USC team. So when you put those two aspects together, I think you're seeing the most important thing is the depth that this that this uh, nation, that this national team is building up. Greg Ber- Berhalter has more pieces than he's had throughout his tenure with this team. And I think you're seeing that... He's willing to trust guys like uh, Miles Robinson to go out and make plays. He wasn't expecting to have Miles Robinson be his top center back. Walker Zimmerman is supposed to be that guy. He goes down and all of a sudden, a guy who has who's been widely uh, respected in, in as a young future national team player, all of a sudden for the senior national team, is making a huge difference. And that's going to really help with the confidence of this team. It's going to help with the depth, as I already mentioned. And as you go forward, if you plug in the top players, if you plug in Weston McKinney, if you plug in Tyler Adams, if you plug in Christian Pulisic, if you plug in Giovanni Reina, this is all of a sudden a team that not only has guys playing at the biggest clubs in the world, but when it doesn't have those guys, it's still managing to get wins against its arch rival. And and there can be no negatives taken from that. It all connects back to Nashville SC, of course. Uh, Miles Robinson, the game-winning goal scorer, took the field at First Tennessee Park against Nashville SC back in 2018 for Atlanta United 2, or 2 United, as I and I think only I called them. It was uh, <laughs> a, a, a former a former Charleston Battery teammate of Todd Ryan and Nunga as well uh, when the Battery were, were Atlanta's B team, which I asked Brian about. I kind of crossed my fingers without looking that stat up, and he, he came through for me and confirmed that. Nicely done. Yeah, it, it all connects. Speaking of center backs, uh, Walker Zimmerman, obviously out due to injury, would have likely started the remainder oh, yeah. of those matches for that team, um, but has a, a tougher road to hoe when it comes to starting or or contributing significantly for the team in World Cup qualifying. Assuming he is healthy, and we certainly hope his hamstring heals up here quickly, do you think Walker has a shot at major minutes in qualifying? Is he going to be the guy next to John Anthony Brooks, or do you think you see him in more of a fringe role? 
Yeah, John Brooks is is written in ink. He's written in stone as the number one center back. I think prior to the injury, Walker was making an argument to possibly be that number two guy, that he has a very good style to complement Brooks. As we've talked about a few times over the course of this Gold Cup, Brooks is kind of a, a slow-footed lefty. Walker is a, a rangier right-footed player who likes playing on the right with a left-footed player, as we see him do with Dave Romney mm-hmm. here in Nashville. So he does have that perfect complementary skill set he's really added a a bit of passing range to his game that we haven't necessarily seen as much with Nashville and saw a ton of in the early stages of the gold cup before that Canada game so I think there is an argument that he's that he's climbing up that depth chart now the question is when you do have uh, Robinson who's made the strides that he has when you have a guy like Chris Richards who you may have heard uh, is on the books at Bayern Munich a a fairly good team I've heard Um, so when you have some of these guys available is Walker Zimmerman's better style of play to suit playing next to John Brooks going to overcome maybe the higher potential down the road for a guy like Richards? I don't know the answer to that question, but I think when you are asking about qualifiers this September, yes, I think he's a guy who's going to play a major role in those tournaments. This September, of course, Canada takes on the United States, and it is a chance for Alistair Johnston to get into the 11 for the Canadians. He started every match in Gold Cup action for Canada do we think that he's in the starting 11 when Canada takes on the United States in September? I think he is in in John Herdman's starting 11 as long as he's healthy and available for the Canadians. I think what we saw out of him in the Gold Cup, uh, it surprised me. Did it surprise you? I wasn't expecting to see that sort of that sort of versatility from Alistair, the, the ability to play a completely different role for Canada than he plays for the United States. But also during the group stage, he played a little bit as a right wing back there and, and showed a little bit of what you're more used to seeing for Nashville, too. He's just got that sort of ability that you can't take off the pitch unless you are replacing him with a guy like Richie Larea because you have, you know, Alfonso Davies at left back. You can mm-hmm. put Richie at right back. There are there are some really good pieces for Canada, but the fact that Alistair can do both positions is so important to them. Yeah, it it didn't surprise me because I've lost the capacity to be surprised by Alistair <laughs> Johnston at this point. He just shows up and belongs. He shows up, yeah. he, he plies his trade, he develops quickly, he is unafraid when he walks into mm-hmm. the room, but then he, he backs it up with the skills. So um, yeah. certainly excellent to see from a guy who was going to likely even go on loan at the beginning of, yep. of last year. And he, had, he had his loan lined up to Las Vegas lights, Las Vegas lights. And instead and of did, playing on the never, strip, never hit, never hit the plane because of the pandemic. So think about what a weird butterfly effect sort of situation that can be too. Man, uh, we'll do an alternate reality one of these days on how um, a world with no pandemic would have impacted Nashville SC. Um, and Actually, it's pretty interesting. Would, I think that could be a long-form piece on clubcountryusa.com. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> you're not it's, you're... Easier to, it's easier to talk about it than type Let's, about it. Maybe. <laughs> okay, maybe that's maybe that's a, uh, a good slow week uh, conversation then. And then we'll transcribe it and put it into a story. <laughs> read it. Speaking of loanees, uh, Alistair Johnston was not one, but there are several boys in not gold, including Elliot Panico mm-hmm. leading USL right now, I believe, in uh, in clean sheets. Yeah, he's a guy who we obviously have expected very big things out of. I was a little bit surprised that he did go on loan this year because of what he can provide to this team and what maybe he might get out of being in training with with an MLS caliber goalkeeper coach, MLS caliber teammates around him versus getting those game minutes. Obviously, Mike Jacobs and Gary Smith decided the game minutes are important. And Panico has been a guy who, you know, when I check the, the, the uh, boys in not gold uh, outputs each week, He's only making a couple saves a game, but that's all he's needing to make. He might let in one goal, but this guy is a clean sheet machine so far this year. And that's exactly what Nashville would love to see because they wanted him to go out and get that game experience. And it's it's turning out to be exactly the sort of results you want from that game experience as well. And of course, in the event that a keeper is injured, there's a recall provision in, in all mm-hmm, these loan mm-hmm. contracts. And this one is actually called the Panico button. <laughs> I mean, we're we're really rounding into form in the second half with these with these puns, man. <laughs> we are, and so for those of you who are still with us, in spite of that, let's let's take it to the final whistle. <laughs> it is a summer of content from the Olympics to all kinds of soccer going on. European leagues are starting back up this weekend. The smaller English leagues are getting going again. For my content recommendation, though, I'm going to take it to basketball and to a long-form podcast that I was introduced to actually on Lamestream Sports. I promise we don't just exist as an advertising agency for that podcast, but Jordan Ritter-Kahn is a local Nashville writer who hosted and, and produced a podcast called What If? 
the Lynn Bias story. And it's uh, through The Ringer. Actually, if you're looking it up in your podcast app, it's likely to be in her book of basketball. And it explores the uh, impacts to basketball, to culture, to um, even our you know prison system of Lynn Bias's death. Lynn Bias, a, a star at the University of Maryland, a number two draft pick in the NBA draft, who um, overdosed on cocaine the night he was drafted and passed away. It's a tragic story, very delicately told, but very comprehensively explored by Jordan Ritter Khan. We are all about supporting local voices. We are local voices in this town, and Jordan is is one of the finest local voices uh, in, in Nashville and does just an awesome job exploring a very sad situation and the far-reaching impacts, Tim, that it had. Well, mine is a little less heavy, fortunately. I think, I think thank, we can, we can, we can hit him with one one heavy one and one a little more lighthearted one. Mine is the, I think I might have recommended this before, with the play-by-players uh, podcast, uh, Bobby Boswell and the MLS Players Association talking to players from around the league, including some retired players. You've had a number of, of current boys in gold on this podcast, even before some of them were with this club. Um, CJ Sapong's episode from, I believe it was the summer of 2020, is absolutely fascinating. Obviously, Bobby's a guy who knows these guys as a player, not just as a media member. So he gets a certain level of candor, a certain level of kind of naked honesty from these guys. Um, obviously, when there's a Dax McCarty episode, as there was, I believe, also last summer, you're going to get you're going to get some great stories of story time with Dax McCarty is is basically a meme of its own at this point in in the MLS world. So I think uh, one of my more recent uh, exciting finds is that Matt Turner, who we have previously discussed in this episode, is a big Tennessee Titans fan. So oh. um, so he got scored on twice in, in Nissan Stadium. And, and maybe that was uh, a silver lining was getting to see he was getting to uh, take the pitch there in, in Nissan Stadium. But um, yeah, it's a, a great podcast. You can learn a lot about these guys. And like we always try to do, you learn about them as guys, not just as, as football robots, as I like to pejoratively make fun of uh, <laughs> the, the concept of not treating them like human beings. So um, it's, it's a great, a great uh Listen, Bobby does his research too. It's very funny. He's like Wikipediaing these guys as, as he's on the phone with them. So, nice. um, yeah, check it out. There are interviews with Jaleel Anibaba, Dax McCarty, and Walker Zimmerman as part of that show. I just added it to my feed. I just subscribed. So, yeah. thank you for that. Jeff Lorentowitz, yeah. the most recent interview. You can only imagine he'll be pretty candid about the uh, issues going on down mm-hmm. in Atlanta that he narrowly avoided. All right, bold predictions for Nashville's upcoming road stretch, Tim. I think they're going to split these two games, one win and one loss. It will not surprise you to find out uh, that I that I believe the New England game is is just too much to ask uh, with the way this team has uh, been dealing with personnel absences with the way new England has been playing. If you go in there and get a draw, you are really making a statement in terms yeah. of potentially being an elite team. And then uh, drive pink stadium has just not been a house of horrors for the opposition. So I think Nashville goes into uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, you know, only about an hour away from Miami <laughs> and beats inter Miami FC. Yeah. I think that's completely reasonable. Uh, I will yeah. say uh, in the next 180 minutes, Nashville allows one goal. I'm going to guess that probably comes against New England. I don't think you shut out this New England team as, as much as they are cooking right now. Nashville did shut them out last year. Without a forward on the team, they buckled mm-hmm. down. And uh, Shouts out to Derek Jones. I miss that Yeah, guy. man. He, you know what? He was built for a match like that. Started yeah. up top as a guy who's yeah. built more like a number six. And was tremendous at the hold up play yeah, and yeah. just an outlet. And you know what? Nashville's going to have the opportunity to, to use some strong strikers who have that physicality, but also have the ability to go forward. Maybe they, mm-hmm. they do get a draw in New England. Um, I do think it's likely that New England scores. It is less likely that Miami does a whole lot in the attack against Nashville. But third game in eight days down in that Miami heat that, uh, I mean, Miami's own players have succumbed to numerous times. Uh, yeah. it, it'll, it's an unpredictable environment. My only thing is I have a flight scheduled for about three, three hours after the match is scheduled to end. So I don't need a classic Miami lightning delay. That's the one thing I, <laughs> I can't afford. That's it. However the match goes, it just needs to end. I'm going to change my time. prediction to there's a lightning delay just for you. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Come on. Just when I thought we had good good connection and chemistry, you go want me to miss my oh come on. Uh, all right, so Nashville and New England on Wednesday night. Nashville and Miami on Sunday afternoon. Some mm-hmm. uh, some big matches ahead for the boys in gold. Thanks to each of you for listening. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the music at the beginning and into the show. ESPN ninety four nine had the highlights. 
Go on to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe to our show, and tell a friend about us. If you like soccer, you probably have friends who like soccer. They might not know us. And if you've listened this far into the podcast, you like us enough to tell others about us. If you got through <laughs> and, some of these jokes. And, and, and quote tweet us to ask us your mailbag questions. So your friends who are aware that you listen to a soccer podcast but don't know how to find it, can just click right there and figure it out. Well, you're like a digital marketer or something. That's next level. That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, I'm, I'm doing what I can. I like it. I like it. So, yeah, do that. Quote, tweet with your questions at West Bowling TN at Club Country USA. Rate, review, subscribe. Thanks to the 440 Sports Network for supporting this podcast and so much other great content across the network. Give that a listen as well. And we will talk to you soon.